Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. The Ghostface Killer is taking yet another stab at the box office as Scream 6 has arrived in theaters. It's a sequel to last year's reboot, or requel, of everyone's favorite deeply meta slasher franchise. Scream 6 takes the characters who managed to survive the last Scream movie out of bucolic Woodsboro and into the urban jungle of New York City. I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Scream 6 on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Third Love. Third Love makes solutions for every bra problem. Give yourself more lift, smoothing, and get straps that stay put. Every style's wear-tested on real women, made from premium materials, with a virtual fitting room to help you find your perfect fit. Comfort and support are guaranteed. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Joining us today is Jordan Cruciola. She is a writer and producer and the host of the podcast Feeling Seen on Maximum Fun. Hey, Jordan. Hello, hello. I am always thrilled to be on hand discussing my favorite horror franchise of all time. Excellent. Didn't know that. Also with us is writer and film critic Walter Chow. Welcome back, Walter. Good morning, everybody. I am so excited to be talking about this with you guys. Me too, you. Okay, it's only been a year since the fifth Scream movie, but its two leads have pulled up stakes and are trying to move on. Good luck with that. Sam, played by Melissa Barrera, is haunted by the knowledge that she's the daughter of OG Ghostface, Billy Loomis. That's one reason she feels so protective of her half-sister, Tara, played by Jenny Ortega, who's attending college in NYC. Also along for the ride are their friends Mindy, played by Jasmine Savoy Brown, and her twin brother Chad, played by Mason Gooding. If you know this franchise, you can probably predict that we get a whole new set of suspects who could be taking up the Ghostface mantle, including several suspicious new characters and a bunch of familiar but still suspicious faces from previous Scream films. Notably sitting this installment out is Nev Campbell's Sidney Prescott. They didn't meet my girl's quote, and that is not Studio PR. She is... Not in this movie, people. The setting is new, having traded Woodsboro's suburban sprawl for New York's tramped apartments and crowded subway cars. But some things haven't changed. We get a celebrity cold open, a new set of self-aware rules for surviving the film, a lot of characters pointing fingers at each other, and yes, lots and lots and lots and lots of stabbing. Scream 6 is in theaters now. Jordan, what'd you think? I had a very fun time at Scream 6. My approach to Scream forever and ever, basically, since two, is I love to hang out with my friends. Okay. So when there's a new Scream movie, it means I get to hang out with my friends again. Of course, I miss my friends who are not present, but I have really come to like the new ones. And so getting the gang back together was very welcome, and I was having a rollicking good time in the theater. Excellent. Walter, I gather... You had a less rollicking time. Yeah, I, I I didn't. I'm very lukewarm about this movie, and I love this series as well. Maybe maybe my favorite Jordan uh, uh-huh. series as well. I think it's super smart when it's on its game. When Kevin Williamson especially was writing the first two, it kind of changed everything. It rejuvenated this genre. You know, the slashers were sort of relegated to direct-to-video, cheapo knockoffs uh-huh. in the '80s, and Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven really kind of said hey, it could be really smart if we actually knew what was happening, but we were helpless to prevent it. And so what I really loved about the screen movies is when they're really on their game, and I think number two is maybe the best one, 
uh, in my humble but correct opinion, Mm -hmm. they talk about these really fascinating issues. And I think to your point of Nev Campbell not being there for all the right reasons, by the way, pay her. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. For for Nev Campbell not being there, I really felt her loss because that to me is really the soul of it. When she shows up in the last one – they shoot her in a hero mm-hmm. angle, sort of like a Michael Bay hero. I cried. I, I got chills, kind <laughs> of. You know, this is Sydney Prescott. But yeah, for this one, I just really felt like the fatigue is beginning to set in, even though the film is really about fatigue. Uh-huh. Every film is going to be a new aspect of horror films and horror series or whatever. And this one, I think, is really trying to be like, okay, so this is really a long and boring villain monologue, but it's a satire sure. of long and boring villain monologue. This is going to be about how exhausted we are by the same old things over and over again, but it's a satire. Of the- but there's a very thin line, right, between satirizing something and just being that thing. Well, yeah. It felt boring, and it felt like it was played out, and it felt like, you know, the 35th movie of the MCU franchise. It's just, I'm done kind of with this huh. until they bring back Never, until they do something that's different. Huh. That's an interesting spread. (laughs) Uh, And I come down pretty much in the middle, I guess. I mean, I like this just fine. Points for understanding the assignment. I appreciated that I did feel a determination not simply to repeat, but to evolve, maybe? Like, Mm -hmm. so the nature of franchises, and this one in particular, is these guys make money if they didn't bother with that. If they presented the formula, Celebrity Cold Open, plus Killer in Grim Reaper Drag, plus Winks to the Audience... That equals dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. I thought there were real attempts to play with expectations in this one, which is the whole organizing principle of these movies, so good for that. Um, I thought the rules they follow this time out were interesting. Am I right in picking up on the minute these two directors who took over the franchise with the last film, that's uh, Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillette, they have made movies that seem a hell of a lot less playful than the OG Wes Craven joints. They go harder in terms of violence. I don't remember seeing... As many entrails. Am I right in picking up on something there? They really, with the cold open of Scream 5, they really set the tone with how they were going to mm-hmm. deal with the violence in their segments. Like that, the breaking of little tiny Jenna Ortega's lave by Ghostface in that cold open was like, a, oh, we are going somewhere new. Yeah. And then it set a precedent for how that movie was going to handle violence. And I think Six picks up on that and runs even a little faster with how much it wants you to feel the stabs. Scream 1, like, notoriously opens with a disembowelment. Sure. You're right, you're right. Right, but then like four movies ate out on that disembowelment. Like the <laughs> violence in, in one through four yeah. is like pretty chaste, which is my favorite thing about the Scream series is that it's actually quite chaste and basically like desexualized throughout. Mm-hmm. It's the great asexual horror franchise in my estimation, so it, it feels very close to home in that way. But like, yes, the entrails, we know everybody the entrails, but like literally nothing in like one through four equals the entrails again. You know, to your point, Glenn, they do try to shake it up a little bit, but there's a clip early on where someone's watching something on the television and it's a clip from uh friday the 13th part eight mm-hmm. jason takes Man- manhattan <laughs> i was wondering which part that was yeah it's it's the death of tamra uh in her stateroom on the uss lazarus i know this too well unfortunately <laughs> and and you know it took eight installments before friday the 13th was desperate enough to go to manhattan i think yep, jason yep, does yep. not take manhattan in that movie jason takes a boat and then jason takes an alley <laughs> it's a long boat yeah well the, and i think the alley is recreated in this one too but but the, manhattan goes to hell in space are still my favorite places that jason takes those are my top three they're great because we were sort of done with crystal lake as well but you know here, here here's the thing <laughs> though is i feel like uh, it's it didn't feel brutal to me. And maybe your mileage will vary. It just felt really 
strictured. Mm. There's that one scene of the bodega that the trailer spoils, which is great. It's amazing. Here's this expansion. It's really tense. It's scary. And it never really does that again. Now they're isolated in a building. Now they're isolated in an alley. Mm -hmm. So all the talk about, you know, we're going to really use the population of New York, maybe the subway scene, but ultimately I feel like there's so much meat here on the bone that you've left. Mm -hmm. Let's go there. Mm -hmm. You know, let's go there with the internet conspiracy theories, which they kind of bring up how easy it is to create a conspiracy, but they don't really dig into. And I really feel like the other installments, they really do dig deeply and well into all of these issues that they bring up. But here they bring them up and then they just kind of just do the standard thing. And then it becomes kind of, boy, nobody dies. Well, yeah. It begins to feel like a comic book now in a way that the others felt more immediate to me. And when that becomes a comic book, I think it loses a lot of its heat you know a lot of its interest for me if it's just another lollipop i guess again scream for me is hanging out with my friends and this this more to me fulfilled that mandate than i liked five but for me five exists in two movies i remember when sydney and gail arrive in five i remember looking over my friend in the theater and going oh thank god the movie's starting <laughs> and what i liked so much about six is that it actually does feel like these people hang out like each other and know each other. I liked those bonding scenes between the core four, mm -hmm. as they are dubbed within this movie. We get even more Mason Gooding being a delightful himbo. We get, I really like the sense of the sister relationship between Melissa Barrera and Jennifer Ortega. Especially, I feel like Melissa Barrera didn't quite wear for me the damsel in distress thing super great in five, but she gets to be more like a proactive and paranoid force in six. And I thought she did that really well. Mm -hmm. Friends, if you've been waiting for Kirby to come back, the introduction Kirby gets in That's this- That's the Hayden Pimsier character. Is a whole meal. It's the way they introduce Kristen Cloak in Black Christmas 2000 and was it six or seven when you're like, she must be a really important legacy character and she's not. She's just beautiful. And they just give her a whole feast of an entrance. That's what Kirby gets in this movie. I was frankly glad- I don't want Nev to not be in this franchise because she did not get the paycheck she deserves. Right. But I don't want her character to be meddled with such that a sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth movie could start to tatter the Sydney Prescott of it all. I don't need her to expose to that danger. But when they do the Sydney sends her love yeah. and she deserves her happy ending. That is a nice thing to hear, but it is attached to the fact that she publicly was like, my quote was not met. So mm -hmm. that's a little bit of a like, guys, that's a bit saccharine for someone who left this over a pay dispute, despite yeah. the fact that they've done so well with the vanilla character. She could have won a damn Oscar for playing Sydney Prescott. Sydney Prescott <laughs> forever final girl number one. Of course. So, but yeah, I, I got to hang out with my friends and I got to watch them protect and care for each other because for me, no matter what other tertiary thing comes into Scream, this franchise is about a group of people who care for each other, protecting each other. And they do that in this. And that makes me very happy. They do that in this, but let's drill down on this particular movie. Like some set pieces, and when I say set pieces in this context, I mean kills. <laughs> I thought some of them worked, some of them didn't. There is mm -hmm. one that involves a ladder that keeps going on and on that feels, I don't know, it was ill-conceived or it was the editing. But as it went on, I kept feeling the tension deflating when I thought they really wanted it to be ratcheting up. Mm -hmm. And I like these two leads, as you mentioned, but, and again, that's something smart, something old, something new. Tara is trying to move on with her life, classic Sydney Prescott, while Sam can't because <laughs> the film is playing with the tension of her past and its role in her present. And that's a new wrinkle, at least. Mm -hmm. They do give those two characters a lot of screen time together to uh, bicker and bond and Great impulse, understand it. There are leads. We need to identify with them. You define your characters by bringing them in conflict, by bashing their competing agendas against each other. And that is classic storytelling 101. But that tenant of storytelling 
is kind of at odds with the nature of this film because I kept feel like those scenes were eating up time. I was waiting for somebody to pick up a boning knife or something because this is, <laughs> you know what I mean? This is, there's there so much time. No, I like those. Those scenes are the meat and potatoes for me. Like Gail and Sydney looking at each other being like, wow, we've really been through it, huh? Mm. That's the heart of Scream for me. So Tara and Sam looking at each other being like, hey, like we've really been through this, huh? Is like, that's the Scream movie I love because ultimately a Scream movie is about two women surviving together, whether it's Gail and Sydney or now it's Sam and Tara, mm-hmm. and how they support each other and how they don't have to be the same version of a survivor because they complement each other to make like a whole surviving unit. That to me is definitionally scream. As we move past, as we kind of fully relinquish the prior era, that is to me, honors what came before more than anything else this franchise could do by way of Easter eggs or nods or homages or naming a character Wes, (laughs) is having two women aid one another in a survival journey. And that is Scream Mm -hmm. for me. I think the problem I have with – I love what you said, Jordan, about this feeling in the last movie about when they show up, oh, good, the the movie's about to start. Yeah. Um, They never show up in this movie. And and I think, for me, the movie never really started. And and it's – it isn't that I, I need to see Nev Campbell in, in, in the film. It's that I don't have the same kind of relationship or the same kind of feeling of of having been through it. It really emphasizes the magic of what Gail, Sidney, Dewey had when you watch. Because I like these, but like I remember watching it being like, those originals are so good. Uh-huh. Like they're incredible. The chemistry, the care you have for them, like it's it's untouchable. They're so good. And in the, in the second film, her um, Sydney's drama teacher tells her that she may be stuck in a cycle in which she is doomed to represent women's pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And that that level of self awareness and archetypal self awareness about the role of women in literature and art, male dominated literature and art, is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fumbled when you get let her off the hook mm-hmm. in a snarky way because I thought that you didn't, and that that was really the nihilism at the heart of the the screen movies, especially in the second one. I don't know that this movie ever goes there. I don't think it wants to go there or can go there. Mm-hmm. I'm really disappointed with the latter sequence as well, just because not only does it really super boring, but, and I don't want to spoil it mm. too much, but that's the character that's punished. So who are mm. the people that are punished severely in this movie? It's this group that I don't want to ever see punished in the movie this way again, especially in isolation. All of this stuff begins to show all of these seams, I think, of being really tired and not thought through well enough. I was stunned at how well thought through the last one mm-hmm. was. And they really went after toxic fandom and they really went after these, you know, obsessive Funko collectors or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And, you know, they really <laughs> had their finger on the pulse of it. What does this one do? Yeah, I'm picking up on what you're saying there, Walter, because I came to this franchise relatively recently. I came to it over the pandemic. I had seen the first one back in the day. I was just never curious to revisit it. But then, you know, lockdowns, as we all now know, Mm -hmm. will send you down some alleys you never thought you'd go. And (laughs) it was the, um, it was the requel. We're not going to. Are we stuck with requel? Have they made fetch happen? Are we going to actually use? I'm never okay. saying that okay. word. You guys can keep saying it and cursing us if you want, but I'm not participating in that. Good, good, good. Okay. But that's what got me into the franchise because I was curious about exactly what you guys are talking about, the logistics of restarting a franchise, of handing it off from one cast to another. How do you do that mm-hmm. without feeling like you're slighting the OG cast, which meant I had to go back and mainline them. And that is not the best way to be introduced to this series <laughs> because you start to notice uh, narrative ticks and The whole franchise is about being self-referential, but even the meta approach of this series has blind spots. Like, yes, and I know this is part of it, but like, the killer always comes back at the end. But meanwhile, all the other characters come back. They keep brushing off deep tissue trauma and massive hemorrhaging like it is nothing. Every character, every time a character goes, are you okay? And the other goes, 
Yeah. I'm like, you have been stabbed so many times in the liver that it's now <laughs> pate. And once in a while, you can forgive that. But when anyone can come back from anything, it starts to feel like a cop-out. And my least favorite things about these films is the thing that I should love, which is the reveal. Because after the reveal, the actors who are playing the killers are always directed to go big. That's okay. But they're always directed to go big in exactly the same cartoonish, wild-eyed, maniacal grin kind of way. So we're supposed to accept that these characters who we've come to know are now the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang all of a sudden. And I had the same problem here in a big way, but it's the formula. So it's, it's again what you're saying. It's like the the franchise is going, well, that's just what we're commenting on, right? Well, in, in that way that like, yeah, like you dislike the 35th movie of the MCU. I don't go to the MCU for stakes, guys. Sure. If you're coming to scream six for stakes, like I don't know what you're knocking on this door for because it's not going to have what you want inside. <laughs> I want to see my friends. I want to see somebody I like survive after being stabbed 97 times Mm -hmm. because the next art house horror movie that comes out of Australia that's going to devastate me is going to devastate me. And I'm going to be so grateful for that. And then I'm going to come and hang out with my Woodsboro people. And I was thinking after I walked out of that movie last night, like, I'm so glad that no matter how, who the killer is in a Scream movie, they always hit 15 on the gap, on on the dial. That's what makes it a Scream movie. There are plenty of other franchises do plenty of other things. And I would never rather lose a character that I love than be like, that movie really took a chance. Mm -hmm. No, I don't. I'm a, I'm a, I am a fan. I am a simp for my characters. I adore and Scream provides for me in that way. And I'm grateful to Scream for that. But shouldn't the motivation of the killers matter? Or is it just that they're going to, it felt, and we can't get into it, Extremely abstruse, extremely (laughs) diffuse. And that should be a satisfying thing because one of the things that sets Ghostface apart, he's not this implacable force of evil in human form. He is a doofus who gets his ass handed to him again and again and again. That's part of the appeal. People (laughs) fight back. And it's done so that at the end, and frankly, they go big and maniacal like that so that at the end, when finally someone fights back and wins, everybody cheers. That's what it's about. Maybe that's (laughs) what matters is... Uh, triumphing over evil. Well, I think that's how you you can rank your ghost faces by like how well that motivation lands. And this can just, maybe this is just not one of your top ghost faces. And that's that's fine. That's totally mm-hmm. fine. For me, Scream was a surprisingly meaty movie because mm. I love slashers. And then I saw Scream and I thought, now I'm thinking about slashers. It's like mm-hmm. the first time I picked up, you know, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, that great mm-hmm. Carol Clover book. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm allowed to think about this? Mm-hmm. I'm allowed to have, you know, some kind of reaction about it that I can follow? And, you know, Scream, except for number three, be begins to unravel all of these things. But even number three has that scene where, they, you know, they rebuild Sydney's house on a soundstage and they reenact all these things. That's like Synecdoche, New York here, you guys. That's really <laughs> fascinating mm-hmm. Kaufman stuff. And so Scream for me was uh, aspired in my mind for something more. Sure. It did provide the shocks. It did good. It was a great slasher series. But it also had something on its mind that it was able to carry off without me feeling like I was being lectured. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this film feel felt like a lecture. And it could be that they're satirizing movies that are lectures, uh, but, it, but it is a lecture. I'm, I'm totally with you on like, oh, I don't need to be told directly this many times. Where do you guys see this going? I mean, Jason didn't go to Manhattan. We went on a boat. Then he went to hell. Then he went to a space station. Where is Ghostface going to end up next, do you think? And do you want Sidney Prescott back in the franchise? Jordan, you're a definite no. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a definite no. I'm ready to just like, it's going to get too stretched 
for them to try and like the balance was hard enough in five and it merged it at the end and made it like, okay, good, good job. And then in six, I was like, okay, I love seeing Gail. I love that they let Gail be a jerk to the bitter end because Gail is a jerk. She's not a nice person. But like, I don't want to stretch any more the like, but now we need to cut unless it's Kirby. Kirby can come back as often as she wants. Love Kirby. Okay, interesting. Um, I, I never say never. I love sequels. I love remakes. I think it's a. I think it's a compliment when you remake something. I mean, the Royal Shakespeare Company reboots Hamlet every year. Sure, I'm fine <laughs> with that. I think that's a smart thing. That means there's some substance of what you're doing, and I, I'm down with it. I think Scream, you know, is one of the rare franchises that hasn't never really had a, a proper reboot. To be fair, though, Scream sort of spawned. 27 years, I guess, of reboots, of, of people like reconsidering horror. And I think the face of modern horror doesn't look like it does without these Scream films. So really the challenge, I guess, you know, the long way to answer this question is to say, well, how do you do this now that you've already been imitated so much? Like, how do you make a Blair Witch mm-hmm. 3 in a way that hasn't already been imitated by all of your imitators and admirers, you know, in the decades since you've done it? Mm-hmm. But there are certainly smart enough people to do it. I'm really excited to see what a new creative team or what a new whatever can bring to this premise because it's evergreen. Mm-hmm. This idea that we feel like we're in a simulation sometimes. We can't believe, right. you know, we can't believe the things that are happening. You know, everyone thinks that the Hadron Collider pushed us into a bad timeline. How about that movie? <laughs> you know, take a, t- take a little bit of time, you know, really figure it out, go through a lot of drafts and nail it in a hot 90 minutes. And I'm there. I'm hundred mm-hmm. percent there. Well, we want to know what you think about Scream 6. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Jordan Cruciola, Walter Chow, thank you so much for being here. I'm so I'm so grateful, you guys. I always learn so much. Thank you very much for having me. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fatima and edited by Jessica Reedy. And Hello Come In provides our theme music, which you are making a rich and satisfying pate to right now. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Delta Airlines. When you think about it, half the trips the world takes are trips home, home, what we all eventually long to get back to, no matter what took us away to begin with. Those at Delta know that, because all 100,000 of them are, above all, travelers just like you. It's why they try to make you feel at home long before you even get there. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them, and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR.